Welcome to the January 9th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 21, verses 1 through 9, and the sermon is entitled, The Denouement of John, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. What a wonderful day in God's house. I'm glad you are here despite the cold and the a little bit of the snow and ice outside. Good to have you here. Good to have you on stream as we gather today. You know, our, our congregation on stream is quite amazing to me. Uh, I don't know if you take a look at Facebook. Every once in a while, I'll check in with Facebook. But right now, on our Facebook page, the sermon is being tapped somewhere between 1,000 to 1,100 times during the week, which is amazing to me that our congregation outside of these walls outnumbers us. Isn't that an amazing thing? Praise God that the Word of God is going to the world, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, Today, as we gather here, I'm having a little fun with you and a little fun with a word that I learned along the way somewhere in school. If you have your bulletin, you might want to take a look at the sermon title today. The sermon title today. I want you to take a look there. As we near the end of our journey through the great gospel of John, here we are as picking up on the last chapter, chapter 21, uh, and this is sermon number 64 in the series. We have two more to go, and the Gospel of John will be closed. But I begin today by teaching you or reminding you of a word that perhaps you picked up along the way. I did in school. Uh, it's, it's a word of French origin. Uh, I, I love to hear the pronunciation here in the South, like Pastor Jeffrey. Uh, if, you, uh, if you just look at the word, it looks like denouement, uh, and that's the way you say it in the South, especially if you're Jeffrey Campbell. Uh, also, I, 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 talk, I talked to Gwen about this word yesterday, uh, somewhere early in the day, and we were getting ready for bedtime last night. She said, so you're ready to, pre- to preach on the denou of John? I said, wait a minute, that's not the word, Gwen. You, you lost it somewhere along the way. Kim Markham has had fun with this word. But it's a, a word of French origin, and the word is denouement. That's the only French word I know, but denouement is the word. The denouement of John. Let me me explain what that word means, kind of pull us all together as to why I chose that particular word for this sermon title. Uh, In a great action story, there's always a climax to the story, and then there's a resolution that comes after the climax. Things are resolved and things settle down. Let me give you an example. Genesis chapter 7. Noah and the ark. God begins speaking to Noah and calling him and his family as a righteous people of God. The only righteous people on earth at that time. Sin had taken over on the earth. And so God begins speaking to Noah. And he reveals a plan to Noah. I want you to build an ark because there is a flood of judgment coming on the earth. And I want you to build a boat to ride out the flood of judgment. And so Noah takes years, the better part of a century, to build the ark. And as he builds the ark, there's evidence in the Bible that not only does he build, but he preaches that judgment is coming. And there's one way to ride out the judgment, and that's through this ark, through this boat. So time goes on, and the build is coming. The climax is is coming. And so what you see, as time comes, judgment is coming close. The ark is is finishing up and finally Noah completes the ark and the day comes when God brings the animals and all of the animals two by two are loaded onto the ark 
of earth. So they too will preserve uh, the animal population of the earth. And then finally, on the day of judgment, God sends Noah and his family into the ark. And you remember one of the primary statements of the story of the ark, the account of the ark, is it says that God shut the door. God shut them in. Noah did not bolt the door. God did. It's a great, it's a great sign of salvation. You don't save yourself. God shuts the door of salvation in our life. So God shuts the family in. Here comes the climax of the story. The, the rains begin to fall. People become coming to the realization that judgment is now upon them. And yet the rains fall and the waters rise. And finally that great ark lifts off its moorings onto the water. And as the water rises and the earth is covered with the flood water, that ark pitches and rolls on the waves as the earth is covered with the water. And judgment is carried out. God executes judgment on sin and cleans the earth. Well, finally, the water stops. The rains are withheld. The water begins to settle. And that great ark rests on Mount Ararat. And as the waters settle and the days pass, finally God gives permission for Noah and his family to walk out of that ark onto a new, forgiven, clean earth. And that is the denouement of the story. It rises to a climax as God executes judgment and then it's resolved as they come out of the ark and begin repopulating the earth as the judgment is done and the situation is resolved and you come to the resolution of the story. That's the denouement of the ark story, the account of the ark in the Bible. So as we come to the Gospel of John, turn your Bible with me to John chapter 21 today. As we come to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, the storm of the crucifixion is over. And the victory of the resurrection has been carried out. And so what we have at the very last chapter of the Gospel of John is the resolution, especially in the life of one man. The denouement of the story, especially in the life of Peter. As we see the resolution come for him uh, over the course of all he had been through. This is the resolution chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, I want you to back up, now that you're in chapter 21, back up into chapter 20, the last couple verses of chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. And as you see these words, this really is the period on the story of the Gospel of John. In chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the last two verses of chapter 20, say this, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. There is the purpose of the entirety of the Gospel of John. That's the period on the end of the book. This is the story of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ministry, his life-giving love to the earth, to the people of the human race. And if anyone comes to him believing on him as Lord and Savior and Christ and God, they will be saved. That's the purpose of the book. But then chapter 21 comes. This chapter is known as the epilogue 
or the appendix to the Gospel of John. It is very much the Word of God. It's not a pasted-on section of the book. I don't want you to misunderstand it. But it is the resolution chapter. And it's a very necessary part of the Gospel of John. It's kind of the P.S. at the end of the Gospel story, dealing primarily with Peter and how he is restored with Jesus after his time of denial. It's a very necessary part of the story because in Peter, I see myself. I pray in Peter, you see yourself. And how God restores us, forgives us, loves us even when we fail him. Well, let's begin by reading John chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Keep your Bible open. We're going to go through verse 9 in the sermon today, so keep your Bible open. But let's look at verses 1 through 6 as we begin. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. So as the Gospel of John chapter 21 opens here, it says that the disciples were gathered by the Sea of Tiberias. This is the only gospel writer who refers to this body of water as the Sea of Tiberias. You will see it throughout the gospel accounts, throughout the Bible, as the Sea of Galilee. It's the same sea. It's the same place. John just calls it the Sea of Tiberias because there was a city named Tiberias at the edge of the sea. Most of Jesus' ministry took place around this sea. It's really a large lake. Many of you have been to the Holy Land, and you've seen it in person. But Jesus preached there. Jesus preached on the shores of the sea. Jesus preached in the terrain around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus even got out in a boat and preached on the sea to the multitude standing on the seashore. This was also the same place where Jesus walked on the water of the Sea of Galilee. The cities of Capernaum and Magdala and Tiberias and Bethsaida surrounded the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth was about 15 miles out from the sea. The Sea of Galilee, about 13 miles long, 8 miles wide at its widest point. But here's an important fact that you must know. Take note of this. The Sea of Galilee is about 70 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. That's a very important fact for you to pick up right here as we open John chapter 21. The Sea of Galilee is 70 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. That's an important fact to know because you can't miss this. As John chapter 20 closes, 
the resurrection chapter of the Gospel of John. As chapter 20 closes, so we've already been through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We are now through the resurrection, the victory of Jesus Christ in chapter 20. It all takes place in the city of Jerusalem. But as chapter 21 opens, in that little white space between the end of chapter 20 and the beginning of chapter 21, something's taking place that you don't recognize if you don't read the Gospel of John closely. And that is, they ended in chapter 20 in Jerusalem, but as chapter 21 opens, they're 70 miles north in Galilee. John doesn't take note of that. It's just in between the line. Chapter 20 closes, and here they are in Jerusalem at the resurrection. Chapter 21 opens, and they've moved 70 miles. They've gone northward up to the Sea of Galilee. Why is that? Well, John doesn't tell us why that is, but someone else does. Matthew tells us why that trip took place from Jerusalem to Galilee. In Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus is resurrected, he meets two women on resurrection morning. They're traveling away from the empty tomb. The angel of God had already spoken to them. But as they travel away from the empty tomb, they meet Jesus himself. This is Mary Magdalene and another Mary. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene and another Mary are traveling away from the tomb of Jesus. And Jesus gives these two women a message to give to his disciples when they see the disciples. So if you want to flip with me, you can. It's Matthew chapter 28. I want you to listen to two verses there, verses 9 and 10. Matthew 28, verses 9 and 10. So Jesus is speaking to these two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now listen to verse 10. Then Jesus said unto them, these two women, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. So there's the message in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus tells Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Go tell my disciples to go to Galilee because they will meet me there. Isn't that interesting? John does not make note of that, but Matthew does so after the resurrection Jesus tells his disciples to make that trip from Jerusalem 70 miles north meet me in Galilee at the beginning of chapter 21 of the gospel of John you see they obeyed they got the message and they did exactly what Jesus gave them the message to do leave Jerusalem go to Galilee because you're going to meet me there that's where they are and they're waiting as chapter 21 opens the disciples are waiting for Jesus to meet them there now, I believe that it's many more than just the group of the original disciples. I believe disciple means follower. I believe that there were many more than just the original called disciples of Jesus. These were a group of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were saved by faith through the grace of God. But there was a group, we don't know how many, but they traveled that 70 miles to Galilee because Jesus said, I will meet you there. That's where they are. Now, in John 21, the old disciple writes about a little group of men who had gathered one evening. A little group out of the big group. Seven men. Verse 2, it tells us it was Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John. So the writer of the gospel is in this group. James and John. 
and then two other believers who were not part, perhaps, of the original disciples. If they were Jesus called disciples, they were not named here. Seven men gathered together. They were waiting, obediently, just staying put in Galilee because Jesus said, I will meet you there. Now, the most interesting man in this group by far is Peter. Before Peter appears in chapter 21 here, let me ask you, what are his last appearances? Before 21, what are Peter's last appearances in the Gospel of John? Well, interestingly, in chapter 18, we see one of the last appearances of Peter when he denies Jesus as his Lord. In fact, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he denies even knowing him, even having any association with him. And of course, fear brought him to that point, knowing that if he identified with Jesus the Christ, he might end up with the same punishment that Jesus was going to go through. So in simple and profound fear, he denies him as his Savior. He denies him as a friend. He even denies him as an acquaintance in John chapter 18. A great act of treason against his very Savior. Peter denied him. And certainly as Jesus went to the cross the next day, we know that when Peter realized that he had denied the Lord, he wept bitterly. But the next day when he saw him on the cross, and I know he did from the shadows somewhere, Peter saw him on the cross. And he had this grief that could not be overcome. This sadness that the one who's dying on the cross is the one I denied last night. The one I said I never even knew, much less that he was my Savior. So Peter carried that in his heart. And then in chapter 20, we see the last appearance of Peter before chapter 21 opens. Peter and John are inspecting the empty tomb. Remember that story in the Gospel of John? I love it. They get the word that the tomb is empty and Peter and John sprint to the tomb and John, the little he-man, said, I outran him. <laughs> I made it there first. Peter finally chugs in. But John was there first. And in John chapter 20, verse 8, here's what John says about himself. The gospel writer writes this about himself. He said, I looked in that tomb. I saw in that tomb. I saw it was empty and I believed. We know John was right there at the foot of Jesus' cross with his own mother. John saw him die. John knew he was buried. But when John looked into that empty tomb and saw that Jesus was not there, his word, his witness was, I believed he was resurrected. But Peter says nothing. We don't have any word from Peter of what he believed. So the last two appearances of Peter before John 21 is he's denying Jesus as his Lord, his Savior, even his friend. And then when John says, I believe that he's resurrected, Peter said nothing. So we're left with Peter with question marks. What, what did he believe? What did he carry in his heart? And at the end of John 20, we don't know. And yet, when we get to the book of Acts, which is the continuation of the history after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus and the church is born, 
Who's the man who preaches the Pentecost sermon where 3,000 people are saved? Peter! So we know he came back. We know he was restored. We know he came back and the relationship with him and Jesus was good again. But how did it happen? We find out in John chapter 21. And that's why we study it today. It's a great, great chapter of resolution in Peter's life. So as John 21 opens, Peter and the disciples are in Galilee. And remember, Peter is on a very familiar seashore, probably from his childhood years and his teen years and on to, into his adult life, Peter lived on that Sea of Galilee. He was a fisherman. And he lived there. It was his life. It's what he knew. It was his income until he spent three years with Jesus in ministry. But I want you to remember that he and these other disciples are waiting on Jesus to come. He sent them the message, meet me in Galilee. I'm going to be there to meet you. So Peter is waiting on Jesus. But he, more than any other, is waiting on Jesus with this knot that's in his gut. Because his last meeting with Jesus was a meeting of denial. He was going to soon see the Lord that he had denied. And I put myself in his shoes and I think he's, he's anxious. He's nervous. He's pacing, just waiting for Jesus to show up. What will Jesus say to me when I see him for the first time? Finally, the waiting gets so tough and so much for Peter that he blurts out, I've got to do something, so I'm going fishing. And the other disciples say, we'll go with you. Remember, Peter was a very forceful personality. So I believe that these other fishermen followed along suit with him because he just wanted them to come. I know he did. But after his three years of ministry, he steps back into that familiar profession. He goes back to his comfort zone as he goes out on the Sea of Galilee to fish. And these other six disciples accompany him there. So they all board a boat. They set sail on the Sea of Galilee, and they throw their nets over the side of the boat. You will learn a little bit later on that they actually throw their nets over the left side of the boat. You'll find that out in just a moment. And they anticipate a huge catch of fish. And midnight comes. And 2 a.m. And 4 a.m. And the sun begins to break over the horizon. And they not caught one fish. Zero. Wasted night. Wasted time. No fish in the net. But as the morning breaks on the horizon, and these seven guys sit disappointed and dejected in this boat because they've wasted a night, there's a man on the shore. They see him, but they can't make out who it is. Now, those of you who have been to the Holy Land and seen the Sea of Galilee, I have read that especially in the morning time, there's a mist that rises off of the Sea of Galilee, and visibility is very low. But also, the gospel teaches us that the men in the boat are 200 cubits from the shore. That's about a football field away from the shore. 
So here's a figure on the shore. Maybe they're looking through the mist, but we know that they're looking for a distance, and they know he's on the shore, and they know that he's speaking to them, but they don't know who he is. But the man calls out. This is an interesting little passage here, chapter 21, verse 5. The man calls out from the shore, Children! Or another translation would be lads or friends or boys have you caught any fish well the word used here for children or friends that you'll find in most of your translations is the word in Greek paidon and it's a term of endearment it's like me telling Gwen I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and spend a little time with the boys this evening when really it's nothing more than a gathering of old men it's kind of a ter- in term of endearment So, in fact, the Living Bible says, Boys, have you caught any fish? The disciples are not children, but they were very dear to Jesus. He was endeared to them. He loved them. They were his boys. So the Lord calls out, Did you catch anything? And although these guys are so far away, maybe looking through a mist, but they can't tell who is on the shore, but they answer back one very terse word. No! <laughs> Catching the fish? No! You can almost hear the part anger in their voice that they spent all night, and here they are tired and sleepless and caught anything. No! Nothing! But the stranger calls out. Here we are, verse 6 in chapter 21. He said, throw your net to the other side of the boat. Remember, he's speaking loudly here. He's got that voice that carries over the water, that stentorian voice that carries over the water. Throw your nets to the other side of the boat. Specifically, John says, the right side of the boat. So you know they cast the first time off the left side. Now he says, switch sides. Go to the right side. Cast your net off the boat. And probably, now this is just my conjecture here, this is not scriptural, this is not holy scripture, I'm just thinking this through. One of the guys may have said to another, well, we fished all night. Well, I might as well try it. So they pitch the net to the right side of the boat. And when they do, fish slam into that net that they could barely handle it. It had gotten so heavy with fish, it was dragging the boat down. And they looked to the shore again, and maybe somebody said, who is that guy who told us to switch sides to the other side of the boat? Well, let's press on. John 21, look at verses 7 through 9. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, remember that's always John, the writer of the gospel. He never refers to himself by name, always the disciple whom Jesus loved. Therefore the disciple, that disciple whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. 
Well, as we get to this part of Scripture, the miraculous catch of fish is Jesus' last recorded miracle in all of the Gospels. This is his last earthly miracle that we see in the Bible. It ties in very well with some of the first words he speaks to his disciples. Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1. I want to make you fishers of men. So here we have this net full of fish pointing forward that he wants these men to be fishers to fill the net with the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ to catch men there. And these amazed fishermen behold this net that is absolutely full of fish. And John says to Peter, that's the Lord on shore. That man that we can't make, that's the Lord. And you'll notice that Peter doesn't realize it until John says it. But John always seems to have this tender heart toward Jesus. He always seems to know first what's coming, what's going to happen, or who it is. And John first realizes it's Jesus. As John speaks that, I always love this little passage in the Bible. Peter is stripped down to almost nothing. That's the way fishermen fished in the day. Now, the Bible says that he was naked. If you're streaming with us from another part of the world, the the word in the south here is naked, right? The Bible says he was naked. The Greek word is gymnos. It's just a covering over the essential parts. So he kind of had on a real tiny bathing suit, so to speak. He was covered somewhat, but for the most part, he was naked. He had no clothing. But as the realization hits Peter that this is Jesus on the shore, right in character with his impulsive nature, He decides, let these six guys bring in the boat and bring in the fish. I am leaving here. I am swimming to meet him on the shore. It's exactly what I would expect of Peter. But just before Peter makes the dive, remember he's got on this skimpy little bathing suit. But he picks up his outer covering and he puts it on. Rather than swim just in his bathing suit, he puts on his coat and he swims with that as well. Why? Because you're not presentable when you're naked. He might have a wet coat, but he'd be presentable when he met the Lord the first time. And so Peter puts on the outer covering along with his swimsuit, and he dives in and he swims towards shore as hard as he can. Now, I don't want you to forget this. Peter had deeply offended Jesus in denial. And yet he was swimming as hard and as fast as he could to get to him. Isn't that amazing? He didn't know how Jesus would receive him. He didn't know the first words Jesus would say to him. But he swam as hard as he could to get to him. I believe Jesus loved that. That Peter had this knot of denial in his gut. And yet he was swimming as hard as he could to get there to meet Jesus, despite his failures. You know, there's a great truth in that. And I don't want you to miss the truth in this little scene of Peter swimming as hard as he could, but not knowing his reception. If you today feel you have offended Jesus, 
If you today have felt that you have rejected him or denied him in some way, I can tell you this. Through John chapter 21, he would love for you to come back. He would love for you to be back in relationship with him. Swim hard, run fast, but come back and come today. If somehow you have offended Jesus, you come home. He's ready to receive you. That's what we see here. Jesus did not turn Peter away, and he will not turn you away if you need to come home. Peter swims in. The rest of the disciples bring in the boat, dragging this huge catch of fish in along with them. And I want to leave you with the last verse of the day. Look again at verse 9 of chapter 21. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. As Peter and the six other disciples meet with Jesus, he's fixing them breakfast on the shore. He has a fire built there, fish frying, bread warming. But here's a key picture that I want you to get in your mind in this little passage of Scripture. On the ground is a fire of coals. You can't miss that. The fire of coals on the ground. Because it takes Peter back to a very shameful night. If you want to flip back with me, go to John chapter 18, right just a couple pages back. John 18, start here at verse 18. John 18, 18. This is the night of denial for Peter. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now, go to verse 25. Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. What you notice back in verse 18, they were warming themselves that night by a fire of coals. Back on October 3rd, 2021, I preached a sermon in this passage in, in John chapter 18. And I asked you that day, on October 3rd, circle fire of coals, we'll come back to it. Today is the day we come back. So if your Bible was circled, you were in church that day, you get a star. October 3rd. But when Peter saw that fire of coals on the beach, I can't help but believe that he was reminded of the night he stood by a fire of coal and denied Jesus. By that fire that night, he left Jesus. He denied him. He rejected him. 
But on the shore this day in John chapter 21, I believe that Jesus built that fire of coals to say, here's where you come back, Peter. You left me one night by a fire of coals. This is the morning you're going to come back to me. I think it's very symbolic. You left by a fire, you're going to come back by a fire. Well, that's where we're going to end the sermon for the day. But let me give you a scriptural truth. All of us, from the back of this pulpit to the front of this pulpit to that camera that goes to the world, all of us, from time to time, in varying degrees, need to come back to Jesus. All of us, somehow, some way, get off the path and need to come back. Again, in varying degree. But I know it's true for us all, certainly for me. Maybe we get out there in selfishness and we think only about ourselves. We have no desire to be a witness in the world. The world is all about me. The universe revolves around me. All of my needs, all of my wants, all of my desires, fulfilling what I need. Life is about me. And we sink into selfishness, even as a believer in our life. Maybe somehow we sink into some type of addiction or maybe some sinful lifestyle or some repetitive habit that we've not shaken and we've gotten away from Jesus. Maybe we've just somehow, especially in this season of COVID, maybe somehow we've just simply drifted away. Haven't been to church in months. Haven't accessed it by streaming. We just haven't been there. Maybe in this season we've drifted away from our Bibles. Oh, maybe you open it on Sundays, but it's never open during the week. It's been months, maybe years since you've really been a Bible student. Maybe because your life has become so busy and there's so many parts and pieces to your life that you've not had time to pray. You might tip your hat to the Lord in prayer every now and then, but to truly pray on your knees it's it's not happened for a long time in some way or other all of us from time to time in our life need to come back it's just the truth we need to come back we need to get back to the Lord we've been in the wilderness way too long and even as believers there are times when we need to get back in our relationship with the Lord listen friend if, if today's your day for that If there's somewhere in your life you need to come back, He's ready for you to come today. That's the good news that John chapter 21 teaches us. He was ready for Peter to come home. And He's ready for you and me if we have some way that we need to come back to Him. He is willing for you to come home and get back on track with Him in relationship. Come today. And if you will come today, you will feel a refreshing from him and a new vigor in him and a, just a new shot in the arm from him that you're ready to be back in relationship with him. You know, with the fire of coals, I was thinking last night, I came in here and sat and I prayed. I prayed for your seat last night. I prayed for you who are watching by this camera this morning. I prayed for that camera. Peter left Jesus by a fire of coals. Peter came back to Jesus by a fire of coals. Maybe many of us have been to an altar like this 
to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But somehow we've gotten off that track or the relationship is not what it used to be. You met him at an altar. Maybe today you need to come back to him at an altar. Maybe you need to come back to him at the altar of your heart on your knees. Say, Lord, I'm home. I want my relationship with you to be strong. I want to move forward and walk with you. If today is your day, you come because he's ready. And today, if you are listening, you are here, some of us may need to come for the very first time. We've never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, never given your heart to him. Today is the day that you need to say, Lord, I surrender to you. I am a sinner. The Bible teaches us, all of us do. All of us have this breakdown of relationship with our God. I'm a sinner. And my sin has caused a broken relationship with you. I want you to restore me. And there's one way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I believe you died on the cross for me, Lord. I believe you rose from the grave for my eternal life. I believe you gave yourself that I might have a relationship with our holy God. Today I come. I want to begin the relationship with you right this moment. I promise you this. It's not the promise of a little country preacher. It's a promise of the Word of God that if you will come, He will receive you. He will not turn you away if you come to Him in faith. That is His Word, His promise. And God does not break a promise. If you need Him, you come. Church home, whatever you need, He meets us here. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments, Lord. Thank you for John 21. I see old Peter, his need to come back to Jesus, Lord, and as I studied this, I saw a picture of myself. There are times, Father, when life gets so busy, my relationship with you weakens. I pray, Father, for those of us who need to just come home, come back. We need as a believer to say, Lord, I want my full relationship back with you. Today is the day. This is the moment. I pray, Father, you meet us here. Bless us as we come. If there's one here or one who is listening online today who has never come to Jesus as Savior, this is the moment to say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord. I accept you as my Savior. I want to be your son or your daughter. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to adopt me. I ask you, Lord, to promise me and prepare me that home in heaven when you bring me there. I come to you as my Lord, my Savior. I pray for one today, wherever that might be, that one to respond to you in faith and be saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Church home, whatever the need, bless us in these moments in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.